Welcome to the Just Ingredients Podcast. I'm Cara Lynn, and here we talk all things nourishing to the mind, body, and soul. This is a place where you can find just good ingredients to life. Looking for a toxic-free nail polish option for your kids? Paint those piggies with Piggy Paint Nail Polish, a premium brand trusted by parents and created by a mom. Piggy Paint is a water-based formula that dries hard and is free of all harsh, smelly chemicals. This non-toxic nail polish is kid-friendly, safe for all ages, and comes in a rainbow of 40 fun shades. Enjoy gift sets, scented options, accessories, and don't forget the nail art. All perfect gifts or stocking stuffers. Grab your Piggy Paint today with 20% off at www.piggypaint.com backslash justingredients or use code justingredients at checkout for the same offer. Valid anytime. Candice Birch is a hormone health educator with a master's in health education and over 25 years of experience in the field. In 2017, she founded Your Hormone Balance as a one-on-one consulting practice and is now joined by her two daughters, Ryan and Jess, who have expanded Your Hormone Balance's reach to women around the world. Candace's background includes working as a health editor, writer, and investigative journalist in London, leading educational patient and provider initiatives for ZRT Hormone Laboratory, as well as spearheading Body and Balance, a hormone testing and rebalancing weight loss program at Metabolic Research Center. Jess Sukan is a board-certified holistic health coach who coaches her clients towards finding a life of bliss, free from fad diets, over-exercising, and burnout. She believes that in order to change our habits, we must address the holistic picture and compassionately investigate how all areas of our lives are interconnected. When she discovered the power of food and lifestyle as medicine, she decided to become a health coach via the Institute for Integrative Nutrition and dedicated her time to helping others find that 2.0 version of themselves. Today, she coaches clients privately and works in partnership with Your Hormone Balance. Welcome to the show, everyone. I am really excited to have Candace and Jess here with me today. As you've heard from the bio, they are just a wealth of knowledge in the hormone topic. And I get so many of you who DM me all the time about hormones, PMS, menopause. So I'm really excited to talk to the experts about these uh, topics. So welcome to the show, both of you. Thanks so much for having us. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Before we begin, will you tell my listeners just a little bit about your backgrounds? Okay, Candice here. I am a hormone health educator because I have a master's degree in health education and used for many years was writing in a journalist writing on topics of health and health maintenance, disease prevention. And then lo and behold, I get into my mid 40s. I have little kids because I had kids late. And I'm having hot splashes and mood swings every 20 minutes, which is not an exaggeration. And I realized I need to get a handle on the hormone piece. I knew it was hormonal. And that kind of catapulted me into studying, learning more, getting in touch with one of the, I was living in, I live in Oregon and one of the first and largest now hormone testing labs was there run by a biochemist cancer researcher. I just called him up and said, Hey, I'm a woman in menopause. I'm having or perimenopause, I'm having all these symptoms and I need, I've got little kids, I need relief. Can I work with you? Can I study with you? And I 
became the director of education uh, for ZRT Laboratories for a good 12 years. So learned, uh, have seen thousands of test results, and at some point decided that being an executive in a company, even if we were helping people, was not getting to talking to women, the women that need to be listened to and tell their tale and get some help. So we started Your Hormone Balance so that we could really sort of individualize talk to women. If they want to talk to us, we're here and and just offer comfort, education, support, advocacy for women to insist on natural approaches to hormone balancing, to insist on testing before anyone tries to prescribe. So that's what we're all about. And that's what I'm all about now, even though I'm supposed to be retired, but I'm not. Well, I love it. (laughs) Yeah. And I'm Jess, her daughter. And um, it's wonderful because we're a family business. So my sister is the co-founder. She's not here today, but we've done podcasts. We did one podcast, the three of us. Um, and we got into this business. I got into this business because I had yo-yo dieted for over a decade and was always listening to other people's advice for what I should do for my own body versus listening to the messages that my body was sending me and trying to make changes based on, you know, being actually in tuned with my body. Um, I was constantly trying different fad diets and wanting to be smaller and really just ignoring, you know, how I felt and focusing more on how I wanted to look. And as a result, I developed a lot of hormonal imbalances. I didn't have a true period for about four years. Um, It took me a while to get my period Mm. back, even coming off of hormonal birth control because of how deficient I was in nutrients and how long I had been under eating. Um, I also dealt with debilitating migraines, which is still something that's somewhat present in my life, but for different reasons. Back then it was very hormonally driven. And, you know, I got to this breaking point and I decided to heal myself naturally based on kind of channeling what my mom had taught us growing up and going back to her and seeking her advice and support, (laughs) um, testing my hormones, which we offer through our family business and saliva, getting to the root of those imbalances and then taking natural steps to rebalance. And in doing that, I was able to get back a natural period. I was able to improve my relationship with food to start adding in fear foods like carbohydrates, which is something that we can talk about later. A lot of women are restricting them and they're actually really important for ovulation and hormone balance. Um, So I went back to the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, became a health coach. Um, Simultaneously, my mom was starting this business and my sister also came on board to really help grow the business side of it. And so here we are five years later and yeah, we're just, we're really passionate about the work that we do. And um, we love just spreading message and we're all about education and empowerment, as my mom mentioned. Like I said, I love that. And I have so many questions to ask you guys. So let's just start because I want to talk about PMS and menopause and birth control and bioidentical hormones. So let's start with PMS. (laughs) So I get a lot of followers who are dealing with terrible PMS. So let's start at the basics. What is PMS exactly? And is this common? It's very common because right before the period, you know, PMS being premenstrual syndrome, the hormones, the the key master female hormones drop significantly right before our period. So if, if somebody has been sort of deficient to begin with in hormone production because of excess stress or overtraining or being on birth control, all the things that can shut down ovulation, which is where hormones are produced, that's a a particular cause of PMS. But there's there's a backstory about it that I think is really interesting. 
it was actually defined premenstrual syndrome in somewhere around in the 1950s by a British MD, Katerina Dalton, who had struggled with migraines all her life. And she she noticed that the first time she was pregnant, she never had a migraine. So she she thought that was very interesting and started looking into the hormonal connection, started a clinic um, observing women. And she noticed that women on their cycles had all kinds of emotional changes and disruptions to their moods, that there was bloating and water retention and, you know, a whole host of symptoms, cravings, et cetera, that were seemed to be happening, coinciding with this premenstrual period. So she started doing more research and actually was the person that defined the term PMS, premenstrual syndrome, as a syndrome of uh, up to 150 symptoms are associated with it that had that had to do with fluctuating hormones, dropping hormones right before your period. And it's kind of interesting because she became famous for this. She published the first paper on PMS, defined the term, and published a paper in the British Medical Journal introducing the term and was also making quite a big point about the key hormone that's involved in PMS is the drop in progesterone in particular, because progesterone is the great balancer hormone, especially of estrogen. So she had defined that was using progesterone with her patients and she also became, she started being approached by women who had, who were in jail for committing criminal offenses during their cycle. So mm. she actually defended, it became called the, the Dalton defense. She defended women in court who had committed crimes of violence um, during their cycle. And she successfully defended a woman who had set, who every, it seemed every 28 days would go out and, and set fires to houses around wow around the uh oh, green area of london and they proved that it was linked to these emotional ups and downs and hormonal fluctuations can you imagine she also defended someone who had killed her mother don't get any ideas jess <laughs> but who had uh, killed yeah her. i don't think so <laughs> <laughs> but successfully defended them showing how draconian you know it's the same sort of syndrome as postpartum depression when you give birth, you you know, all those hormones that women are swimming in a sea of hormones when they're pregnant, you give birth, all of those hormones go out with the placenta and you're running on empty again. And if you already were sort of low, you can get draconian, dramatic, you know, horrible sorts of symptoms and depression. So it kind of goes along with the drop in hormones and that that's, you know, a a kind of uh, hopefully a good explanation of what PMS is, but I can't say it is common, but I don't think it needs to be an inevitability if women are balanced properly and have the right lifestyle habits that support uh, hormone balance. And, you know, we're, we're naturally resilient beings. And if we do things right to take good nourish nourishment of ourselves nourish and strengthen ourselves all the time are always mindful we don't necessarily have to have that sort of pass me the shotgun pms <laughs> yeah and i also wanted to note that 
these symptoms are really normalized in society because so many women do experience them. And I think that we often bond with our friends or other peers about how bad our cramps are or I'm PMSing. Yeah. Oh, I'm PMSing or, oh my gosh, like I need chocolate right now, you know, or um, I can't go out and be social or, you know, your boobs hurt so bad. You can't even hug someone um, or you, um, you know, I had a client once who said that she literally had to avoid her, her boyfriend for one week out of every month because she was so terrible to him and he would want to break up with her every month. Um, but she was like, I know it's not me and it's so frustrating. And so I think just for women out there who are experiencing that kind of PMS, that's debilitating, and it doesn't need to necessarily be debilitating in the sense that you can't go out and live your life, but that you've been functioning with these symptoms that do disrupt how you feel and, um, really put a damper on that time of the month. I know so many women who dread it and essentially, you know, ideally your period should come and go. And that week comes and maybe you have a little bit more fullness in your breasts. You're a little bit hungrier, which is natural because that second half of the cycle, your metabolism increases and you actually need more fuel. So honoring those cravings. Um, if you're craving a bit more chocolate, that could be because you have a magnesium deficiency and your body is crying out Mm -hmm. for that support. Um, so just really tuning in and, and providing your body what it needs, um, calming down the nervous system. We can get into more tips, but you know, a little bit fuller breasts, being a bit more tired, a bit wanting to go a You're bit more have, inward, yeah, some of that. Sure. having heightened cravings. Those are all normal, but the other symptoms that are more severe and intense are not normal whatsoever. And that's a sign that your hormones need some support. And women will describe Jekyll and Hyde symptoms, not at all natural, but what's great about hormone testing, since we are big advocates of that, is that we can sort of pinpoint what your hormones are doing and correlate it with those symptoms of PMS. So women have, they can finally feel, oh my God, there's a reason that I'm, that I'm feeling this way. I mean, most women know it's tied to their cycles, but they don't really understand the hormonal connection specifically. Right. Well, and estrogen dominance is really increasing in America. And so that estrogen is really high. And during PMS, when that progesterone really drops, then we've got these issues, especially if we're already dealing with estrogen dominance. So exactly. Let's give some tips of things that maybe could help their hormonal imbalances. So does nutrition and food play a role in balancing the hormones? A thousand percent. Yes. A million percent. It, you know, I always say that blood sugar balance is one of the number one keys to hormone balance. And a lot of people in general, but when we're talking about, you know, women and PMS that work with us that come to me, you know, they explain their day in the life of what they're eating. And a lot of it is actually, you know, really nutritious foods. And you can tell that they're really intentional about the choices that they're making. But when I hear what they're eating, a lot of times I can just tell that their blood sugar levels are imbalanced. You know, they're experiencing hanger, fatigue, brain fog. Um, heavy, painful periods or bad PMS, heightened cravings, and just those, you know, being shaky, weak, all of those, those signs, but it's making little tweaks. So what I always say is I have a formula called the sexy six formula, which helps you to build a hormone balancing blood sugar balancing meal without restriction. And each of the six components is there to support your hormones. So it's not just for women of reproductive age, it's for people of all Mm -hmm. ages and stages of um, their life. And so the first component is protein. 
And that is a, is a macronutrient that most women are unintentionally under eating, but it plays a huge role in our hormones because the amino acids are what our liver needs to properly break down, um, and detoxify toxins and estrogen. So when we are estrogen dominant, we need to be excreting that excess estrogen. We need to, we want to use it and then lose it. Otherwise it can recirculate and wreak havoc. So we need those amino acids from protein. We also need the satiating effects of protein. It's the most satiating macro. And then of course, when it comes to weight loss, if you're losing weight and you're not eating enough protein, you will lose fat and you will lose muscle, which then slows down your metabolism. And as we age, we want to be maintaining our muscle mass because that's really important for graceful aging and as well as, you know, keeping our testosterone levels within a good range. So protein is really important. Of course, the type matters always going grass fed, organic, wild caught fish. And I usually recommend between 0.8 and one gram of protein per pound of body weight. So, you know, when you add that up and you take stock of your day and I go through these breakfasts that I'm seeing, a lot of times I'll see one egg at breakfast and one egg is only six grams of protein. So that's going to be really hard to meet your protein goals. If that's you know, what you're eating. Um, a lot of people won't eat any protein at all with meals. So just educating on protein types and how to sneak it in and really approachable ways. And then of course, fat, which is number two is cholesterol and cholesterol is the backbone of all hormone production. If we're not eating enough fat, then we're not producing hormones in adequate amounts. We're also not fueling our brain. So we can feel brain fog. We can feel um, lethargic. We can't struggle coming up with the words that we're trying to think of. And that it also helps us to burn fat as well. And it's extremely satiating. It's great for the skin. Um, It's great for PMS, reducing that inflammation. So things like avocados, extra virgin olive oil, nuts and seeds. And then the next is whole food fiber. And fiber is incredibly important for sweeping excess estrogen out of the body, for just sweeping out those accumulated toxins, for keeping us fuller for longer, Um, so many benefits of fiber for our hormones. And that's going to be things like artichokes, cruciferous vegetables, beans, legumes, whole grains, avocados. And then the fourth is nutrient-rich carbohydrates. Carbs get a bad rap, but they're incredibly important because especially if you're focusing on nutrient-rich variations like sweet potatoes, chickpeas, bananas, oats, steel-cut oats, they're all going to compact with fiber and other micronutrients. And people that eat low-carb diets typically don't get a lot of fiber. And additionally, serotonin can be produced from fiber, or sorry, from carbohydrates. So that can help boost our mood. And so I think they're really important, especially during the late luteal phase or for anyone that's dealing with you know, anxiety and mood swings and just making sure that you're pairing it with that fat and protein. And then um, we want to get in fruit and veggie rainbow, which is the fifth category. That's just going to give you more vitamins and minerals. And then lastly are the bliss boost. And that's things like fresh herbs and seasonings to increase the nutrient profile and the flavor. So, you know, even salsa, sauerkraut for the gut, the gut is very much linked to hormones as well. So if you can incorporate each of these things at every meal, it becomes less about, oh, I need to eat you know, track calories or macros, which you can do too. And it can support you in making sure that you're getting the right nutrients if you're doing that, but it becomes more of a checklist when you're creating a meal and, um, in within my little free 
uh, PDF, which you can download. I'll put it, we can put it in the show notes. Um, it has portion size support. So, you know, how many servings per meal, but nutrition plays a huge role and that really covers it all. I would say like the basics, at least for people. I just wanted to chime in on one thing when she's mentioning the all important fiber, the, the, the mainstay of hormonal and hormonal balance being blood, blood sugar stability, fiber really helps to slow the glycemic load, you know, the, the, the impact of sugar upon the system. So it slows that down so that it doesn't create cortisol spikes and thus, you know, insulin spikes as well. So many, many roles for nutrition in, in maintaining balance. I love everything that you just said about things that we should incorporate in each meal. I have a question for you. Why do you think women's blood sugar levels are so unbalanced? Is it eating just a carb without a protein and a fat? Is it the stress that's causing it? And so the cortisol, what, what do you think it is? Yes, I think it's all those things. So um, yeah, number one, I think it's not pairing your macronutrients effectively and the proper amounts. And so just not knowing how to combine, like we talked about, I think the naked carbs, I always say dress up your naked carbs. So eating a carbohydrate by itself, like a piece of toast with jam is going to spike your blood sugar levels much more rapidly than if you were to take that piece of toast and put some grass fed butter on it and maybe add some avocado and an egg. That way you're still getting that toast. You're not having to restrict that carbohydrate, but you're slowing down digestion and the amount of time that it takes to, you know, absorb those nutrients. And that way your blood sugar levels are more stabilized. Um, another thing is, you know, a lot of women, unfortunately still really feel the need to, um, fit the mold of, you know, what society says we should look like. And so constantly seeking out different diets and wanting to be smaller. And so we see a lot of under eating, um, you know, a lot of women still eating around 1200 calories to 1500 calories, which is just not enough. And that can create blood sugar imbalances. And then, yeah, if you're dealing with a lot of stress in your life, that also has a direct uh, impact on your blood sugar. So I think it's, yeah, it's the abundance of stress. It's the desire to lose weight and be looking for those quick fix diets. And then it's just not understanding how to effectively combine your foods to give you the most bang for your buck and actually make you feel really satiated, energized. Um, You may feel like you're eating more and that could be uncomfortable at first, but typically when you add these six things to your meals, because you're more satiated, you find yourself not being as hungry, you know, two hours later or constantly thinking about food. And the next time you look up, you're like, oh, it's already time for lunch. I wasn't even thinking about food. So it can improve your relationship with food, improve your cravings, improve your energy and give you the nutrients that you need to support your hormones. I'm really glad you said all of that because I know a lot of women, it's very common for a lot of women to eat between 1200 and 1500 calories. And a lot of those women Um, then end up with hormonal issues. And so is that the range that you tell people that they're under eating if they're eating in that range or what is under eating or how does someone know if they are under eating? Yeah, that's a good question. So of course it's going to be dependent on the person, everybody, you know, different heights and um, weights and needs depending on, you know, 
how your energy expenditure for the day. So people's, you know, maintenance calories are going to look different based on how active they are based on their height, their weight, you know, different factors. Um, so it's hard to say exactly what that looks like, but I would say for most women, anything under 1500 calories, I would consider to be under eating. Um, and for most women that I work with, typically they're needing, you know, to maintain their weight and to feel good and to be able to rebalance their hormones and improve their PMS. Most women need upwards of, you know, 17, 1800 calories minimum to, you know, 2000 and beyond. Um, and I know that that can be scary because a lot of women aren't eating that much, but really how I find it out if someone is under eating is by walking through a day in the life with them and asking them how they're feeling, you know, what are your energy levels? Like, how often are you thinking about food? What is your sleep? Like, you know, are you always cold? Like asking these questions, um, to determine. And, and, and the other thing too, is how long have you been dieting for? And are you even seeing results from these low calories? Because a lot of times their body is metabolically, metabolically adapting to those low calorie ranges. And so they keep trying to push it lower because they're no longer losing weight on 1300 calories. And they're trying to go to 12 and 11. And then that's down regulating essential hormones like your thyroid, which plays a huge role in your metabolism. And, and when you're under eating in that way, you know, other signs that we're looking for, are you having regular periods? If their periods are irregular or completely missing, that's a huge sign that they're under eating because under eating is a stress on the body and stress can cause us to skip ovulation. And then we're not producing progesterone and then we become, you know, low progesterone or estrogen dominant. And so a lot of it is just really analyzing sort of their current lifestyle, their habits, their cycle, and helping them to gradually increase their calories in a way that feels comfortable for them so that it's not like a zero to 60, but marking along with that, these other biomarkers of, okay, instead of just focusing on getting on the scale and worrying that you're maybe putting on a pound or two, let's focus on how you're sleeping. Are you noticing an improvement in your PMS? Are your moods better? Do you find that you have less cravings? So yeah, it's, it's a large conversation, but those are some of the things that we look for. And I think it should be mentioned. <clears throat> there's so much to say. And Jesse just said about all of it, but it's important to understand also that under eating or restrictive eating is a stressor upon the mm -hmm. system. It's perceived in the body and its wisdom is, is looking for calories, for nutrients, for those building blocks, the protein and good fat building blocks of hormones. And so the body will see that as a stress response and that will often skew cortisol levels. We often see women who have high cortisol levels at night um, there are other reasons around that, but a high cortisol at night is indicative of disruption of appetite hormones because they they travel along the same circadian rhythms, the sleep-wake cycle. So if cortisol is high at night, then we see disruptions in those appetite hormones, ghrelin and leptin, where the hunger hormone ghrelin increases. So you're feeling hungry all the time, possibly overeating. Leptin decreases. So you don't get that, you know, the satiety hormone, you don't get that sense of fullness. So if you're one of those people that's not, you, you're never feeling full. You're always feeling hungry. You don't know why you've got cravings. Probably it, it goes back to actually the under eating and, you know, bottom line, the body in its wisdom, trying to take care of you and fuel you, 
that, you know, that's the adrenals for sure, trying to fuel the brain, fuel the body. They're going to hang on to whatever fat you have. And the fat that you're going to have if you're restricting and you're under stress because of it is going to be right around your waist, the kind you hate the most, belly fat. And that's where the body will hang on to it. The abdominal depot is an easy place to store fat for the rainy day for, you know, to keep you surviving. Right. It's all Uh, about survival. I'm so glad you said all of that because I was going to ask that. So thank you for explaining that. So now, (laughs) since we've talked about nutrition, let's also talk about exercise with balancing our hormones because exercise can help, but it also can not help. Correct? Yes. Yeah. Exercise is a large conversation as well. We actually have a blog post on yourhormonebalance.com, optimal exercises for hormone balance. So if you want to put that in the show notes or send people there. It's a really good article that breaks it all down. Um, but essentially, yeah, I mean, exercise can be a good stress on the body, but there's a point at which, um, it can be an excess. And again, with all of these, you know, fad diets that are out there, there's also fad exercise plans and a lot of emphasis on, um, high intensity interval training or HIT which can be really effective for fat loss, but it can also be um, a really negative tool in excess for uh, healthy ovulation cycles and weight maintenance. And so um, really the, the formula that we love to recommend is adding in strength training because strength training is a great way to not only put on muscle, but to naturally raise your testosterone levels. A lot of women are low in testosterone, which can impact your libido, your confidence. I mean, so many things. And so helping to naturally boost that testosterone, build muscle, which as we know, we need as we age to prevent things like osteoporosis and rapid aging. And also that so that when we are losing weight, we're able to maintain our muscle, which is what we want. We don't want to be losing fat and muscle, like I said earlier, because that impacts your metabolism. Strength training is also great because it's a way to boost confidence, you know, to be able to progress each week. That's when you're going to see the best results is when you're challenging yourself to progress either with a little bit heavier weights each week or more reps. Um, so it's really empowering as a woman, I think, to learn that skill. Um, but you can adjust it throughout the different phases of your reproductive health to support you. And, and that's something you can do all month long, complemented by restorative movement, which is extremely important for bringing your body out of fight or flight mode and into rest and digest for bringing down high cortisol levels and supporting your mental health. Um, your body wants to feel safe. And when there's these stressors, like my mom was saying earlier with under eating over exercising is another stressor on the body that then usually they go together. Yeah. That then the body sees as, uh Oh, what's going on here? You know, we're, this is a very stressful scenario. This is not a great scenario for us to reproduce or have a child or um, ovulate or to ovulate, to have healthy ovulation, to have adequate digestion. And so, um, restorative movement, like regular walking, I always recommend about eight to 10,000 steps per day. Um, but you can get in creatively, you know, walk to the post office instead of drive, walk to the grocery store, just find ways of walking to these places, meet a friend for a, a tea or coffee instead of, you know, sitting down, go for a walk together and catch up. Um, and then, you know, yoga, uh, Pilates, slow mat Pilates, 
um, you know, easy hikes, things like that. And then if you want to incorporate HIIT training, I'm not saying it's bad, but we typically don't recommend more than two to three times a week, about 20 to 30 minutes max, um, because it can be that stress on the body and it can, you know, spike your cortisol levels too much. And we see a lot of adrenal imbalances and adrenal dysfunction with people that are doing a lot of high intensity exercise, even just a lot of running, you know, we see marathon runners that don't have periods. Um, so anything kind of extreme like that, um, for women of reproductive age, um, the premenstrual week, the quote unquote PMS week is the best time to just focus on restorative movement. Doing too much high intensity during that time can increase inflammation and make PMS symptoms worse. And it can also hold, cause us to hold on to more body fat. So, um, HIIT training is best during the ovulatory and follicular phases because estrogen and testosterone are peaking. They're on the rise and then they peak and that lends to better energy levels. Um, and your metabolism is a little bit slower during that time too. So it can help to offset that a bit, but you just want to be checking in with your body. And if you're feeling depleted versus recharged after your workouts, even if you're putting the HIIT training in the ovulatory phase, that's a sign that your hormones need some work before maybe you're doing that on a regular basis. And Don't so I have a smart daughter. <laughs> yes, you do. <laughs> no, but I was going to say a lot of what she was just talking about too, is, is the, the concept of cycle syncing, syncing your exercise with your cycles, because women have been exercising like men do, you know, using the same sort of exercise routines. And we we have a cycle. Yeah. We have different points in time where we should not be necessarily doing in particular the high intensity, but things like strength training also just wanted to tag on uh, that strength training is excellent for boosting as it, Jesse mentioned, lean muscle and in boosting lean muscle, we're naturally boosting levels of testosterone, the anabolic hormone that that builds muscle. So it's kind of a, a lovely feedback loop. Exercise the lean muscle, increase it, and you're going to boost testosterone naturally rather than supplementing with testosterone can be a pretty big deal. So not necessarily what we want to do to, to raise our levels naturally. And do you <clears throat> suggest that people strength train throughout the entire month or also not do that the week of PMS? I think you can do strength training throughout the whole month. I will say that, um, during the, uh, late follicular phase. So the phase before ovulation and then the ovulatory phase, because estrogen is on the rise, there's been studies that have shown that, um, because estrogen creates more elasticity, it can actually lead to more injury. So they've seen that athletes are getting more injured during the late follicular and ovulatory phases. And so it doesn't mean don't strength train. It just means make sure that you are warming up, that you're doing more mobility exercises, that you're doing yoga. That's been hugely helpful for me. I was getting injured quite a bit um, when I was strength training and I was realizing I just wasn't giving that time to, to warming up and yoga. And since doing that, it's made such a big difference, but I think it's just with anything, it's kind of adjusting it to your needs. So during that late luteal phase, if you're just feeling super weak and it's not working for you, you can totally take that week off. You can back off of it or just go a little bit lighter with the weights. Maybe instead of an hour long workout, you're doing 30 minutes. Maybe you're using resistance bands instead of dumbbells and just, you know, 
adapting and adjusting to what your body needs. And then I would say the first couple of days of your period, when you're bleeding, just take walks, rest, restorative movement, stretching, yoga, but the period week can actually be really good for strength training. Um, so just kind of ease into it and listen to your body is what I would say. It's that time after the luteal phase when you've ovulated, progesterone rises, and then you know, its job as a pregnancy hormone also is to uh, prepare the womb for a fertilized egg. It, during the luteal phase, if that doesn't happen, then progesterone drops significantly, you know, plummets to shed, trigger the shedding of the uterine lining, the endometrium, which is our period. So it's between that, so progesterone's dropped and between that late luteal phase and the premenstrual is when you're talking about the PMS hitting. So that's when um, you we wouldn't want to be creating worse PMS by, you know, doing the high intensity exercise and straining yeah. and stressing ourselves. And also it's a low estrogen time. So as Jesse said, if if estrogen is tied in with more elasticity and strength in the muscles, you don't want to be, you know, working out high intensity burst training during that period. So that would include the PMS period. Yeah. And your body, your resting cortisol levels are naturally higher during the luteal phase. So you're less resilient to stress. So because exercise is a stress yeah. on the body, when you'd be able to handle it during that first half of your cycle, when resting cortisol levels are naturally lower during this phase, because they're higher, it's thinking, taking stock of the stressors in your life. So you won't be able to handle as well, too much caffeine or alcohol or sugar or lack of sleep. All of those things are All really going to impact you a lot more during that phase. So that's where, you know, switching your coffee for, um, you know, I make superfood latte mixes, something like that can really support you, you know, dialing back on the alcohol, finding swaps for those, that chocolate that you're craving, you know, finding like a real raw cacao, dark chocolate or something like that, but just taking stock of your stressors. And when you can lower them all, including uh, over-exercising and under-eating, that's going to be the best support for your hormones. And by the way, her latte mixes are totally, absolutely delicious. Amazing. <laughs> oh, good to Pumpkin know. Pumpkin spice latte. Mm, nice. Sounds <laughs> delicious. Okay. I'm just thinking, will you give like a one minute recap of what all the different four cycles are? Because my daughter, she'll tell me she's only 16, but she'll tell me like, I can't remember their names and I can't remember what order they go in. So let's just yeah. give a little recap since we've mentioned most of or all of them. Yes, totally. So phase one is the menstrual phase and that's your bleed week. So that's going to last, you know, depending on the female anywhere from three to seven days. And then once you're done bleeding the first day of not bleeding, you enter into the follicular phase and that one's going to be about seven to 10 days, depending on the female. And that's when your estrogen and your testosterone start to rise. And then the, the estrogen is growing the egg and the follicle, thus the follicular phase. Yeah. Yep. And then ovulation is the release of that egg to potentially meet up with sperm and to become pregnant. Um, but we all have that, you know, ovulatory phase if we're, if we're ovulating and that's going to be about three to six days. And that's your fertile phase. Those are the only days of the month that you can actually get pregnant. So I know that there's still a big misconception. A lot of people think that you can get pregnant any day of the month. You cannot. 
Um, it's the up to five days sperm can survive inside of you via peak cervical fluid. And then the one day of ovulation, which is up to 24 hours. So that's the ovulatory phase. And then after we ovulate, our temperature increases by about 0.5 to one degree because progesterone is produced and progesterone is a thermogenic warming hormone. And then we are in the luteal phase and that's the longest phase. It's about 10 to 14 days. Um, if you have a short luteal phase, that's a sign that you're dealing with low progesterone and that, you know, you might want to get your hormone levels checked. You might, you know, be experiencing bad PMS or other symptoms. And so that ovulatory phase, I like to divide it into two, the early luteal or sorry, luteal phase, the early luteal phase, which is that about first week after your period. And then the late luteal phase, which is the premenstrual week. And that's when at the end of the luteal phase, all of your hormone levels start to decline and then are at their very lowest level to then shed the uterine lining and begin the cycle all over again. Thank you so much. I just know you had used a lot of the phases and I didn't yeah. want to confuse anyone. So now they awesome. can go back and listen to the other part if they need to. And now they know. Um, I want to move on to another topic because we could talk about that for a long time, but let's move on to menopause because I get a lot of followers who DM about this as well. And let's talk about premenopause first. And is that the same thing as perimenopause? How does someone know if they are in perimenopause? Actually, let's just start with what is perimenopause? Well, perimenopause is defined as, first of all, peri means nearing or near. So where it's the approach to menopause, the approaching years before menopause, which is officially defined as, as 12 consecutive months without a period. So after that, you're officially in menopause. Up until then, you are in perimenopause, which usually begins around the late 30s into the mid 40s, depending on stress levels. And perimenopause, so that can last eight to 10 years up leading up to the menopause. And that is really characterized by fluctuating levels of hormones so that what's happening is ovulation is becoming more erratic in the lead up to menopause. And that is really is dependent on all the things Jess was just talking about. What's your nutrition like? What's your sleep like? What are your stress loads? How much are you exercising? All of these stressors, which aren't necessarily, they're, they're only bad in excess or when we're overdoing it, overbooked, overcommitted, all of that. And, and stress becomes center stage in life, perimenopause can be a real roller coaster of up and down symptoms that go along with the ups and downs of fluctuating hormones. So you can be, you know, and that really is people who are managing their stress, not drinking too much coffee, exercising where it's a balanced program of high and low intensity, yoga, all that, um, and eating enough, so important, the, the good proteins, the good fats, they're not going to experience as dramatic symptoms as some women who will describe the perimenopause as Jekyll and Hyde. When I was describing scaring my children as an older mom, a menopausal mom, I was really in perimenopause and I was having those those symptoms that were pretty severe, I'd say every hour of the day. And what was I doing? I was pulling all-nighters to meet my deadlines. I was drinking coffee to stay up during the day. I probably wasn't eating enough protein or good fats. Who knew? I mean, it's not, you have to really cultivate awareness, but perimenopause can be a real, as I was saying, a real seesaw 
time. And there is a certain, there's a certain inevitability to it because we're not going to ovulate forever. Ovulation starts to become more erratic. Uh, you know, the, and when ovulation is more erratic, we can't depend on optimal hormone production, can we? We can't depend on adequate levels of estrogen to produce that lovely egg in the follicle. We can't depend on progesterone being produced upon ovulation um, to comfort and calm and balance the, the growth activity of estrogen. And that's really huge. That's when we see women in perimenopause because things are starting to become a little wonky and out of whack. We need to take tender, loving care of ourselves during that time. So that disruption of ovulation isn't quite as severe so that we can still ovulate and make some hormone. There's something called luteal insufficiency where we may ovulate, but we don't make enough progesterone to to keep the balance. So symptoms can become worse. And, and that's where all of these things we were just talking about are so important to ensure that we kind of have a good, that we have a good perimenopause. It doesn't have to be something that we dread and that becomes a Jekyll and Hyde thing, but what's common to that period in our reproductive life is that this is in when women are in, you know, the shank of their performing, you know, they're, they're, they may be high performing women in, careers, they're entrepreneurs, they have children, they have aging parents, you know, the sandwich generation. You're you may be in between all kinds of expectations and pressures from you may be in a I talked to a woman recently who was a high school principal and has two two children and it was incredible the kind of stress that she was dealing with in her early 40s and her symptoms were all over the map. Her levels, her hormone levels were all over the map. Certainly her progesterone was low and her estrogen high. And she was, you know, a classic case of perimenopause. And a lot of these women are not managing things well. They're not, you know, cognitive, they're, they're maybe doing a lot of things right, but, you know, perhaps they think that high intensity exercise five days a week is what they need to be doing after they go drop off the kids and they've got, you know, coffees in hand. And, you know, it's just this whole sort of, period of uh, of kind of wobbly hormones, which is to be expected, but the extent to which we have symptoms during that period is usually a good a good metronome of the extent to which our hormones are out of balance. And they will be, as I said, there will be fluctuations, but they don't need to be so severe that it's like when you're on the seesaw, when you're a kid and you're up at the top and then you're slammed to the bottom. We don't, we don't want to have that. And then just to touch on pre-menopause is not quite the same as peri. Pre-menopause is just when you're in your twenties and women who are ovulating, having normal cycles and, um, in that, you know, in that early, early phase when ovulation should be happening, when hormones should be, be being produced in adequate amounts. But I have to say that when I see test levels of many premenopausal women in their 20s and 30s, given the amount of stress they have, the younger generation thinking they can work all night, be on their computer before bed, get up at 4.30 in the morning to get their workout in, and then they're commuting to some high-powered job, working 12 hours a day, and God knows how long, you know, not eating, skipping breakfast, eating lunch at their computer, or not eating at all, eating on the go, not digesting, absorbing nutrients. These women often have the same symptoms as the women in menopause. You know, they're having hot flashes and night sweats. They have horrible PMS. And, um, and especially women who have been on birth control since they were 15 years old, which is the default for the acne, the heavy periods, the painful periods, so many 
things that women are automatically put on birth control for when really what we're looking at is a hormonal imbalance. And the, the birth control simply shuts down the pill anyway, for the most part, shuts down ovulation. The IUD doesn't work necessarily the same way, but it's still a disruption of hormone levels. And women in premenopause, though they are far, far away from the, men the official menopause yeah. at 50, 51 years old, can still suffer many of the same symptoms. I'm glad you um, told the difference because a lot of people will say premenopause when they mean perimenopause. So I'm glad right. you made that distinction. But now in menopause, are they still having the same hormonal imbalances as perimenopause or really those hormonal imbalances are and the mood swings are during perimenopause? Well, they're more severe when the hormones are fluctuating wildly and they can be fluctuating wildly or, you know, you can have, and, and they are exacerbated by poor lifestyle habits and too much stress. As we get into menopause, we're not ovulating. So we are, we're in a state of deficiency and excess. And I should have mentioned that with perimenopause, when these hormones are fluctuating, you're talking about ups, you know, highs of estrogen and lows of estrogen. Progesterone may be low and high. Testosterone, they're all wobbly. As we get into, into menopause, we know that these hormones are going to lower significantly. But menopause is often equated with estrogen deficiency, and it's not always about estrogen deficiency. Yes, estrogen is going to drop by like 40 to 50% when we enter menopause because we're not you, you know, we're not making much, but the point is the environment is loaded with estrogens in every conceivable way. We are exposed to estrogens uh, in our foods. Hopefully, uh, as Jesse mentioned, you want to be eating grass-fed organic. You want the labels to say these animals were not were raised without hormones or no artificial hormones because, you know, factory manufactured meat and dairy is often injected with hormones. And what are those hormones? Generally, they are estrogen because estrogen is a growth hormone. So we want to grow those cows fat faster, right? <laughs> right. And so we get a load of, and, and plus uh, dairy and beef cattle, uh, dairy cattle especially are kept pregnant all the time so that they can be producing milk constantly. So there's a lot of natural estrogens in, in dairy products that may not be injected, but are just naturally produced by, by the animal. So that sort of thing can provide excess estrogens. And we often, and also exposure to estrogens that are in all kinds of things from heavy metals to, you know, the cadmium in our eyeshadow, you know, the, um, the parabens in some of these creams, the phthalates, the plastic softeners, all of these things act as what we call endocrine disruptors, parabens, PFAs, the forever chemicals that are in, you know, the Scotch guard. I read a, a study that they, they had seen a hundred percent of stain resistant clothing in for school uniforms was loaded with PFAs, mm -hmm. every, all the school uniforms. So we're constantly being exposed to chemicals, the fragrances that we use in our environment, and they act as estrogens. They go into the system and they we call them endocrine disruptors. We also call them estrogen mimickers. They, an estrogen that comes from a chemical form can actually find its way to the receptor site, the estrogen receptor site, which is if you think of a like a helicopter landing pad or a docking site, all hormones find their particular specific receptor site where they dock, where they bind, 
and then open, you know, open the door to the the cell and start flipping on the machinery to run the cellular machinery of governing our emotional, physical, mental functions. Hormones really rule. And so hormones have to dock on that receptor site. But if you get a chemical hormone docking on that receptor site, it's so potent, so much more potent than the naturally occurring hormone that it will take over. It's like, you know, somebody came into your house and and pushed you off the couch and took your place and then stayed there forever. And you can't get rid of them because the, the, the hormonal, so it'll reject and eject the naturally occurring hormone and then just sit there, occupy the cell and overstimulate it and create um, an estrogen dominance. And so that I often see in menopausal women when you would think they were estrogen deficient, often they're estrogen dominant because we're not ovulating. So we're not making any progesterone. Progesterone plummets to nearly zero in menopause. And it's plummeting big time leading up to menopause and perimenopause too. So that's one of the first responses to hormone imbalance to maybe replenish with a bit of natural progesterone to counter the estrogen dominance. Also, I should mention that women often as they in menopause, we, you know, we're we're older, our metabolism is lower if we're not doing strength training. We may be restricting calories, all of that. And um, so we tend to become, it's easier to gain weight and harder to lose it. We're in habits, like Jesse mentioned, toast with jam. Guilty. (laughs) I don't feel hungry in the morning now, but I'm I'm trying to get more protein in in the earlier in the morning. But that sort of dieting does not help the situation. And women can't lose weight. And those fat cells are little estrogen manufacturing uh, suppliers. The, the fat cell has aromatase, which is an enzyme that within fat cells will actually steal testosterone from the system to make estrogen. So testosterone is converted in fat cells via aromatase activity into estrogen. So that's going on during menopause. So uh, contrary to the idea that, oh, everybody's estrogen deficient in menopause, I beg to differ. We see it in test results. Some women may may be very high in estrogen. Some women may have their estrogen within range, but their progesterone is so darn low that they're still estrogen dominant Mm -hmm. because the relative ratio is, is off. Okay, I'm glad you explained all of that. And it's really unfortunate of all the endocrine disruptors out there because it's incredible. And I talk a lot about that on my platform because they're messing with so many women. But I want to ask you really quick about bioidentical hormones because you talked about natural progesterone. So when you're talking about natural progesterone, that's what you're talking about is bioidentical hormones, correct? Always, always. Bioidenticals have been available for 30 years and European women have been using them for decades. But in this country, it's been all about HRT, you know, synthetic hormones that were promoted in the 60s by a doctor who went around the country. What was his first name? Robert Wilson, who wrote the book Feminine Forever. He wrote it in the 60s. He was promoted by Wyeth Arist Laboratories that created a synthetic estrogen for women. And he went around lecturing and saying, you know, women, if you want to remain female and not be a pain in the arse to your husband when he comes home and 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 not, you know, sort of wither into a crinkled, wrinkled old crone, you're going to need estrogen. Now, mind you, we do need estrogen. We need we need these hormones. That they have functions to perform. It's not just about 
the lack of being hot flashes and night sweats, a lack of these hormones in proper amounts is going to lead to lack of bone density, loss of lean muscle, you know, uh, drying skin, drying tissues, all, all kinds of um, bone, uh, bone loss, etc. So we need hormones, but we don't want synthetic hormones because they are have a different molecular structure, which does not fit perfectly into that receptor site I'm talking about. And if that molecular structure doesn't fit, then it starts to create the kind of havoc that I was describing. Bioidenticals have been around for a long time, but because they're derived from natural substances, they can't be patented. So there isn't as much profit in a bioidentical hormone. I think the pharmaceutical companies make money off the delivery system if it's a patch, if it's a, but a bioidentical is what you want to insist on when your listeners, if you talk to a doctor, if you see a doctor, if you're working with it, do not let anybody prescribe for you anything that is synthetic and certainly not without testing first. And if testing reveals an imbalance of hormones, which it will when you're in menopause or perimenopause, you want to insist on bioidenticals. So the, the, the caveats around that is derived from plants, usually wild yam, soy, made in a laboratory, yes, but made synthesized to be exact in the molecular structure and function as the hormones our own bodies make. So in England, they call these human identical hormones or biologically identical hormones because they mimic our own body's chemistry. So we're we're mimicking mother nature by using a bioidentical hormone and we're using it in Goldilocks doses, meaning the least amount for the most effect. We are only trying to top up or replenish the amount that our bodies would make naturally. And I often say to women, you know, some women will say to me, but I'm in menopause, I'm getting older, shouldn't I be low in hormones? And isn't that what it, you know, what's what's supposed to happen? But that isn't what happens, really. You see all kinds of imbalances of, you know, the estrogen being high, the cortisols being high. And, and really, we didn't live past 50 100 years ago. Now we're living to be 85, 90. My mother passed at 92. I'm going to probably live into my 90s. I can't be running on empty. So I do replenish with bioidentical hormones in small doses and topical, topical creams can be used at night in a very, you know, like in a calibrated dose that is just, just the right, not too much, not too little, just right. And can help to alleviate all kinds of symptoms and also protect women, especially older women who've got, who are running on empty or who have these, you know, highs and lows going on in perimenopause. They, you know, this replenishment can even things out, protect our heart health, our blood vessel health, our bone health, our brain health, our breast health. It's really important to get it right. So individualizing bioidentical hormones by testing, you know, having a test result in front of you, correlating your levels with your symptoms, and then being able to use a a physiologic dose that matches what the body makes naturally is the whole key. And that's what bioidentical hormones are all about. And, you know, since I started getting into this field, I was, I was in this when the whole women's health initiative came out showing the the huge risks of, of synthetic hormones, um, to heart health, uh, to bone health, to breast health. And, and, and some of the data was pretty stunning because when you eliminated the people, the data from those who had dropped out of the study, 
the numbers got much higher. Like if there was a 26% increase of breast cancer in women using synthetic hormones, and by the way, breast cancer levels went up in tandem mm -hmm. with the use of, of these synthetics, estrogens and progestin, which is a very nasty formulation of progesterone, a far cry from the real thing. But these levels that we saw in women using uh, HRT, synthetic hormones, and thank God we finally got that study in 2003, but whereas the data would show 26% increase in breast cancer, when you confine the data to those who remained in the study, it was 51% increase in breast cancer and so on. It's crazy so, to me because doctors- When we have a better choice, why not go for it right? and insist on it? But doctors still prescribe the synthetics all the time. I think it should be banned. Yeah, it should be banned. We have the availability of plant and there is not- so far, I mean, obviously, big pharma funds a lot of studies, so it's hard to get good studies on bioidentical hormones. But we do have good studies out of Europe. We have the Women's Health Initiative that we have the PEPI trial. We we have research, actually, that we could send, you know, that you could put on your. We have a great study uh, by Dr. Kenneth Stevenson, who's one of the leading lights in bioidentical hormone therapy called the CHOICE study where she did look at the effects of natural bioidentical hormones as opposed to synthetics and saw benefit in every category, moods, memory, libido, bone density, so many things. It's a really important landmark study. So we've got those. Yeah, they're, they're incredible. There. Let yeah. me ask you this, because you said, make sure you test. And I get asked quite often by followers, like, what hormonal test should I do? So what do you suggest? Well, the test we do is a kind of very um, all-encompassing, comprehensive start. It's a good start. It's saliva, um, salivary testing. We, I'm in the cell. We're in the salivary camp. That's my background. But it's it was really, um, you know, there are other tests. There's urine testing. There's blood testing. Each test has its unique capabilities, and all of them are testing different things. Uh, different components of, of hormone levels at, at the tissue level and hormone metabolism, et cetera. But with saliva, the main thing is that we're testing these key hormones and our basic test is estrogen, progesterone, the ratio between them, which we call the PGE2 ratio, which is a, a pretty good determinant of whether you're estrogen dominant. We test testosterone, its precursor DHEA, and we test the stress hormone, the adrenal stress hormones, cortisol throughout the course of the day. So this is the same day testing, morning, noon, evening, bedtime. And then we can get these levels, see these levels correlate. And then we also have people record their symptoms. And then the test report correlates the symptoms with the levels. And we can really pinpoint areas. It's like pulling back the curtain and shedding light into what's going on with that hormonal milieu. And those are the basics for testing. You got to know those basics because they so these hormones interact. It's a real delicate balance. So testing one or two hormones isn't going to give you the big picture. So we want we want to show you the big picture. It's and it's a a non-invasive, stress-free, needle-free, which is really important because needles in a blood test will skew results, especially for adrenal cortisol levels. Um, so non-invasive, convenient, collected in the privacy of your own home. We send the kit to you because we want you to collect within the first hour of waking, waking so that we can capture what we call the cortisol awakening response. And then we want you to test 
noon, around noon, evening, bedtime, so that we can capture hormones, you know, the trajectory and the rhythms throughout the course of the same day. So that's also an advantage because how are you going to do a blood test four times in one day? Right. How are you going to actually saliva is the gold standard for measuring salivary, uh, for measuring cortisol levels and being able to, we can actually track that rhythm. Right. And we have graphs that show the rhythm. Is it high in the morning when it should be? Is it high at night when it shouldn't be? You know, we can, we can look at all that. Yeah. So I've actually done saliva tests many times to test my cortisol levels. So I love them. I think they're great. And for those that are listening, I get told all the time, my OBGYN told me I that you can't test hormones. That that's not a thing. And the reason is, is like you said, because the OBGYN is not going to draw your blood four times a day. And so you've got to find something else like this that works. So thank and you. Yes, they fluctuate, but but they fluctuate within a healthy range. Right. There's a range that we can, there are ranges that are set for non-supplementing women, for supplementing women. They can be fluctuating, but they should be fluctuating within that range. So that's the normal state of hormones. Every, all day long, they're fluctuating. Right. That's not a surprise. Okay. One last question as we wrap up here. For those bioidentical hormones, do you suggest those for only people in perimenopause and menopause or also those that are in their 20s? Or it just depends. You know, if somebody is, let's say someone's been on birth control, like Jessie. So she'd been on birth control for a long time. She told you she lost her period for four years. She was in her late 20s. She started using, you know, she's much more into the lifestyle, the nutrition, all of those things you've talked about, Jess. But she also used some progesterone because she wasn't her progesterone. We tested, of course. Her progesterone was really low. The ratio between her progesterone and estrogen was low. So she used some, younger women can use some progesterone for a while as a loading dose. Or Vitex Chaseberry is an herb that can often help to raise progesterone level, naturally occurring progesterone levels. It takes a lot longer, but some women want to go the herbal route. But natural bioidentical progesterone is so benign. It's not a growth hormone. And I mean, the worst that can happen if you use too much, and that can happen because women feel so much better with progesterone, they often slather it on. <laughs> but we're talking about one little dose at bedtime because it helps you sleep incredibly well during this it, younger women. It's got to be during the luteal phase of your cycle that you're using it. So you're certainly not using it all month. You're just trying to replenish that if your levels are way too low during the luteal phase. And then women in perimenopause can use it. Usually their periods are irregular. So they may use it two weeks on, two weeks off of the month. And then menopausal women need to use hormones, usually estrogen and progesterone together, never on its own. And estrogen should never be taken unopposed or on. It has to be paired with progesterone. That makes yeah, sense. Yeah, we also with our with how our business works too. We also do a build your own package. Um, so if you want to start with testing, um, you can add on a custom rebalancing guide. So that way, once you get your results in, um, you'll get customized insights and recommendations based on your unique results when it comes to nutrition, movement, lifestyle, and supplementation. And then you can add on a call, um, a coaching call with one of us to support you and understanding your results even more. But also uh, my role really is in helping people break down all the information and 
understand where to get started in a really realistic way that works for their lifestyle. And so oftentimes we're evaluating the supplements that we are recommending and making and seeing what might be the best for you to start with. And it's not always progesterone. Um, you know, it can not depend always. on the individual, but it can be really beneficial, but we really like those cut that customization of it and working one-on-one um, because that allows us to dig a little bit deeper. And then of course we always do say, you know, if you're starting anything new, always run it by your doctor, but we, we're all about providing that education, that accountability, and that support, because it has to be all of the things. It can't just be supplementation. It has to be nutrition, gut health, lifestyle, you know, mindset too. Yeah. If you can't, you can rub on all the hormone you want, but if you're not sleeping at night and on your computer and smoking and drinking and eating too, drinking too much caffeine, et cetera, it's not, it's not going to work. But I wanted to mention bioidentical hormones, particularly progesterone, because it's so benign, it's been available over the counter for many years. And there are some very high grade um, formulations. We suggest one of them. Everything we suggest is natural and can be, uh, we vet these things and then we suggest and provide links to these things that can be gotten without a prescription. Some women need to be, and ideally could be working with a doctor in their community, but you know, not everybody has access to a functional medicine doctor or a nutrition coach or someone that can really help them with this. As you started to say, Carolyn, at the beginning of this, so many women don't understand these things that we're talking about and they have no one to talk to. Right. So that's why we're here. We're here to provide the education, to help you understand test results if you have them, uh, to help you understand what would be best to do going forward so that you can feel better. Because a lot of people don't remember how good they used to feel or how much better they could be feeling. They've gotten used to their symptoms, you know? That is so true. So true. Will you tell my listeners where they can find you? Yeah, so you can find us at yourhormonebalance.com. I'm at Body Bliss by Jess, and that's on Instagram. And then we're at Your Hormone Balance on Instagram. Um, we definitely recommend that your listeners go to our website and take our symptom quiz, which is at the top of our website. That's a really great, great quiz that they can take to kind of fill in symptoms that they're experiencing and get a sense for whether or not that might be related to a hormonal imbalance. And then when they get yeah, the results, they'll important. get some really awesome resources um, as well. So they can definitely find us there. If, if you want, we can also provide a discount code off of our services. Oh, that would be listeners. That would be great. I know a lot of listeners, um, are dealing with hormonal issues and I know you guys will be a great resource to them because they're constantly saying like, I don't have a, a naturopath near me, or I don't know where yeah. to turn to for testing. And so that's you, why we're here. Yeah. You guys will be a great resource for me to share with them and They'll really love everything that you guys educate on and help with. So thank you so awesome. much for, for being here today and sharing all of this. Um, I always close my podcast with asking my guests what they have found to be the best ingredient in life. What would you both say it is? I would say abundance over restriction mm, is really my, my ingredient that was missing for a long time, but now I have it and I coach others to find it as well. And it just makes for a much more beautiful, enjoyable, balanced life. No one has ever I said guess... that one before. So I love oh, that because that can apply <laughs> to many aspects of life. Can yeah. Well, I'm, I'm going to come up with something that probably a million people have said, but I think it's really important, a, a well-developed sense of humor, you know, not taking yourself too seriously so that, you know, you're not 
in that gym, killing yourself all the time that, you know, lighten up a bit, have some, some light, get out in the sun and air and, and lighten up and and laugh out loud, find opportunities to laugh and uh, make light of some of these things. Cause we can have our, our hormonal woes or whatever it is, but humor always helps to lighten that and reduce cortisol levels, right? It's true. It's good for our health as well. And especially <laughs> yeah. when times are hard, it's uh, so important to be able to find something that brings you laughter. So I love both of those. Thank you yeah. again, both of you for being here. I know my listeners have learned so much and we didn't even get to all the questions. So I may have to have you on for <laughs> a part we two. Yeah. I know. I that. Yes, let's do a part two. And again, thank you because I know, like I said earlier, you guys are going to be a great resource for my listeners. So thank you for being here. Thank well, thanks for having, for having us. us. Thank you so much for listening. Remember to subscribe to the Just Ingredients podcast to learn more about your health and good ingredients to life. Plus, get daily tips at just.ingredients on Instagram.